Christmas stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chickasaw native, your Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And what a treat. WWE Hall of Famer. He's held a ton of titles. Most importantly, he's one of the most iconic, famous, most popular figures in sports wrestling, sports entertainment, wrestling, whatever you want to call it. History. He is Mr. <laughs> Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Brutus, welcome to the show. Brother, thank you so much for all those kind words, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm blessed. And you know what? This is really fun to be able to get to talk to you too and do this because this, this is really great. Well, Brutus, we ran into you not, not long ago. We asked <laughs> you to be on the show and you you gratefully consented to it. Man, we're, we're so happy, you know. You and I are almost neighbors, just separated by by a few lakes and a few sand dunes uh, from here <laughs> here to there. But man, right. we we we've we've run across many times in our past, you know. And there I, I'm losing myself again. Oh, uh, we lost you. But I know <laughs> how to. I know how to fix it real quick. It was much better when you just had his name up. <laughs> much better. But then he bitches like crazy because I'm, I'm the, the 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 women can't see my pretty face and they complain all the time. But we got Brutus on there to take my place, so we're okay with this. So uh, anyway, Brutus, uh, you know, I forgot where I was going here with this, but man, we <laughs> ran into you a few weeks ago and asked you to be on there where, when, when you said yes. We're both very thrilled to have you on, man. Well, but well, what a show, man. We, we go way back at Tell us a little bit about uh, the pre-beefcake days, the pre-barber days. And, and man, I, I remember you you and that, that big blonde-headed guy North, sitting out sitting the third row of our fourth Homer <laughs> Hesley Arbery, oh. <laughs> giving all the heels and baby faces grief as we were coming and going to the ring there. T- take us back to some of those days. Take us back to your early, early friendship with with. With that, with that big, big, big bleach god, blah guy. We won't, we won't tell his name, and we'll just leave it to the thing about everybody's imagination out who that uh, big bleach blonde guy was. So, get to give, uh, us, give, give us a little bit of history, history on Ed Leslie. I'm just so far. And, and when I was nine, I <clears throat> some of my neighbors, we uh, they took me down to to our rival baseball league because I mean, my early days were in baseball mania. I was a baseball fanatic, and we got to watch uh, down by the Maxwell Air Force Base, Inner Bay Little League, a, a, a guy that I'd heard about. Because the, the other guys, they were like, going, hey, this guy, I got this guy. We, we got to go see him. <laughs> it was so big that everybody, all the teams, like every game they protested. They said, this kid shouldn't be allowed to play. He's too big. And they were talking about Terry. Uh, and his dad was actually coaching the team. They were the little generals. It's like, the 7-Eleven of the of the 70s was Little General in Florida. And I watched him play, and I saw him. I actually saw him hit a home run. I, I saw him hit a ball. There were like giant trees in the outfield. The fence was maybe 200. He had to have hit the ball 350 feet easy. And this is a little league. <laughs> and then I seen him hit the fence one time. And get thrown out at first because he was so big, he couldn't run really. Really, he, he didn't want to run anyway, and he couldn't run. They threw him out first base. He hit the fence. <laughs> How well, big I, was he? How big was he? In, 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 I guess he was over two hundred pounds as a twelve-year-old. Wow, that's a big twelve-year-old. Yeah, yeah, le- six, legend, legend. Six, has- 
legend has it around, around go ahead six foot six foot six something well and 200 pounds as a 12 year old yeah yeah you talk to some of these little league coaches around here that was around back in those days and i, I live out in the community where a lot, a lot of those guys live at least they claim they saw hogan when he was a 12 year old baseball player <laughs> i mean you know you as many people that's told me that that seen him those little league teams I had to draw at least 12, 15,000 people, brother. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cause, boy. Because yeah, everybody saw, saw, saw Terry, Terry, Terry hit the ball over the fence back there. But, man, legend, legend, legend he, he's a legendary uh, uh, baseball player and also a uh, hell, hell of a bowler. Was you in, in, involved in bowling <laughs> with him, too? <laughs> uh, that was – he had his, – his, the guys are – he's three, three, four years older than me, so – the guys that were his age, you know, one guy owned a bowling alley. And so that's, that's where the bowling stuff came from. But, you know, we just wound up lifting weights together and, and training together, you know. And how, how, did all, you forge, how did you forge that friendship? I mean, with, well, with it was just, uh, you know, all his friends uh, decided, you know, he kind of asked his friends, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, he had already broke, tried to break in with Hero, and, and that didn't, didn't work out good for him. And uh, he asked his friends, you know, hey, come on, you know, want to be, you want to be a wrestler? You know, I want to do this wrestling thing, and uh, nobody wanted to do it. Everybody's like, nah, 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 nah. And, he, and, he, and then he, I was, I was the bottom of the barrel, the last, the last of the line. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, well, you, la the you lasted the longest. The young the kid, <laughs> but, but I was, I was the young kid that wouldn't wouldn't quit and and so you know we wound up together and, and training and and then i mean it's just an, it is really an amazing story and, and next thing you know we were you know meeting with uh jim jim barnett and you know the, the land of territories and uh bob, uh bob rook actually set that up and and uh jim barnett's looking at us you know jimsy and he was like looking at me and terry and we, we were Freaking monsters! Terry was three thirty, I was two sixty, and we were jack both. You know, benching five hundred. Shit, we were monsters. Jimsy looked at us and goes, "Oh my God, it's just money. <laughs> money it's my money. Boy, money, my boy, my boy, <laughs> it's money. Just money. He I said, look at look, you too, and all I see is money, my money. boy. <laughs> it's just money, my boy. Yeah, yeah. And and so you know." Yeah. Hey, so, I so I, I got a big question for you. I, I've been uh, since you considered I, I, I question. How in the hell did you escape the hero Matsuda days? You know, just lucky, I guess. You know, and aren't Jerry, you I, glad? <laughs> I trained. You know, Terry worked me out. Uh, I was training with all the guys in the Pensacola territory uh, bef before the matches. Uh, every night for like a month, and then they just threw me in a tag match yeah. against Ox Baker and Eric the Red, uh, and Eric me and Ron Slinker. I don't know if you remember that name. I that remember Ron Slinker. Yeah, Tampa Cop. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. that's Texas. Texas is father-in-law, right? Median, median yeah. father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And my just had my first match. He just threw me in the ring. Say, all right, you know everything. And and really, there was you know, there's no school. None of that. Learn how to lock up. Take a slam. Then I hit the ropes. Boom, bang, and just started working and learned the trade. Night after night after night in the ring, and it, by definitely a hair raising way to learn how to wrestle. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so you conveniently were ill the day that Terry had to go in and wrestle and get stretched by Mad Sita. Yeah, I don't even know where I was. I, I was <laughs> hey, I was Jerry, were you, were you there that day? I was, was I? Well, I was there, yeah. I was there. You were there. Ooh. You saw it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was oh. there. Jack was there. Roop was there. Matsuda and Eddie were there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And Hero kind of took, uh, I don't want to put words out there, but kind of took a little <laughs> bit of a liberty with Terry, right? Well, he did, and he did. I mean, he, he didn't any more than than what what he did with everybody else, you know. <laughs> well, that doesn't make it right. <laughs> well, no, I don't make it right, but it's not like he were. You know, you hear that he was picking on Terry because Terry was a big muscle bound kid, you know, and that's not that's not the fact. It, it was his same. He might see the same workout no matter how big, little, or, or indifferent the guy was that came in to work out. And I don't, I don't think Eddie liked. Uh... Like the long-haired rock and roll guy that he did. He did. Uh, you're right. You're right on that. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. wasn't a mad suit of thing. You know, it really was mad suit. It treated Terry just like. And matter of fact, when when he got that, when he got the anchor lock on Terry, and he started twisting, Terry started grunting and groaning. You know, Matt Suda didn't really twist it like he'd. I'd seen him do it before. He just kind of let Terry get to the rope. And kind of just threw him aside because he knew the damage was done. And uh, that's when Terry rolled out the ring. He said, I'll see you later, brother. We figured that was the end of the rock and roll era. And little did we know that guy had more between his legs than what everybody thought he was. And he was back a couple of days later with that ankle tape and those boots laced a little bit tighter to come on. And everybody said, all right, we got somebody here. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Crazy Eddie, days, man. Eddie did, not, Eddie did not see big money in him, though, though did he, J Jerry? Well, Eddie saw big money in Terry right away, especially oh, when, when, when he saw the fight that Terry had, you know, and, yeah. and knew that he wanted to be in it. But, you know, you, as Eddie can tell you, back in those days, we had we had so many guys coming to that army because wrestling was so hot, right, Ed? Right, right, Bruno? Yeah. I mean, There's so that no the championship wrestling was, was just so hot that, Everybody wanted to be a wrestler at that time. So we had the auditorium, even though they knew the brutality that 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 went into it, that, that locker room was full on tryout days. We got we would just flow guys through there and you'd see guys, I mean, we'd see a lot of these muscle mahads come through there a lot before, but we didn't know the determination that they had until they got them in the ring. And if they would come back, and then like I said, when Terry hobbled out of the out of the sportatorium. We figured that was the last of, of of Terry, but you know, three days and four days later, he called old Charlie and set up another date and said, "I'm ready to come back." And okay, and then the group got together, and there he was back in there hobbling around, and and that that workout was totally different atmosphere and attitude. That's when you really started seeing the money oozing out of out of Hogan and saying, "Man, this guy's got a future." And then and Matt Tudor did not try to hurt him then at all. He just he pushed him to make sure he was still in shape and all that, but he didn't try anything physical to, to, to damage Terry at that time because we wanted him in the business at that time when he came back. So what what did you hear about the story, Bruce? I'm sure Terry shared, shared those moments with you. Uh, yeah, I thought, he, I thought that he's done a little more damage than just a twist in the ankle. I, I heard it was bro he broke his leg. 
No, there wasn't no broken leg. I mean, okay. I don't okay. even think the ankle. I don't, I don't even a big difference. I don't even Breaking think the, the ankle was broken, but the ankle was swollen up enough where I mean, it looked like a baseball inside of his damn ankle. You know? And it right right away, right? Right yeah, away, I mean, right away, it swelled up on him, and he can barely barely well, get he, out. He hurt him pretty good, you know. What he hurt, he hurt, yeah, without a doubt. He he hurt him. He hurt him beyond hurting somebody, you know. And, and, and he hurt and, he, and, he hurt him to the doubt where you doubt if he would come back in that, through those doors. And and Hogan didn't bitch about it, right? No, no. Dogan didn't bitch at all about it. That was another thing. Even on even on his way out, he was thanking everybody. You know, the polite young man that he was. You know, they, his mom and dad raised raised a good young man, and uh, he was thanking everybody for their time and said, "I'll be back." And yeah, sure you will. Yeah, sure you will. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, and, we I wasn't together with him a lot. I mean, you know, he was still hanging out with all his older friends. Yeah. You know, I was a I, I was I kind of came along after that. You know, after the Matsuda and all that. He and and then later, you know, he was frustrated trying to. Trying to do the, they booked him in like Miami and Tallahassee and a call only a couple of towns a week. So you, yeah, that's you know, true. I had, I had Johnny, Val- Johnny Valentine was doing the booking and I was yeah. sitting up there with Johnny. I was Johnny's assistant and I kept pushing Terry to, no, he's a kid, you know, he needs to be broke in like this. But, you know, times had changed from the 30 when Valentine was broke into the 70s when, when Terry was trying to break in. <laughs> trying time to change yeah. drastic. It got so bad that that when I would call, and you probably know this story, Ed, uh, 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 that when when I would call Terry's house, and Mom would answer the phone, and I would give, okay, Terry had booked in such and such dates, and such, she would not give him the dates because she didn't want, did not want him going out on the road and being arrested. She really uh-huh. did. So I forget what I forgot the little girl's name. I think it was Teresa or something like that that lived next door to. Uh, to uh, Terry, that was uh, also worked in a lot of bars, bar scene where where, uh, where they played in the rock band. I would call Teresa and have her give Terry the the booking date, so I'd make sure that he got them and he he would show up because he wouldn't show up on the ones I would give his mom. <laughs> then I got everybody would be pissed off. Where is this guy? Does he really want it? You know, I mean, he he fought a lot of negative stuff going getting into the business, but he wanted in so bad that that he, that he fought through all that stuff. And man, did he ever make it? You know, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, all right. Well, well, let's talk some Bruce Beefcake stuff here. Enough of the big Terry. Show. Okay. Well. Okay. Well. Enough, enough, <laughs> of, enough, enough of him. But uh, we, we, you guys are, are intertwined so much. It's like talking to me it, without mentioning mention Jack. You know, huh? Well, the Bruce Beefcake. What you know? Once, once Bruce Beefcake. I, I was Eddie Bowler, Eddie Hogan. I was across the country here, there, and everywhere. But we weren't together very much at all. Yeah. You know, we were we were separate. They separated us, and it was what I needed to do. I needed to get out. I needed to get experience. I went to yeah. Oregon with Stan the Man Stasiak, former WWF World Champion, yeah. was out there, and boy, I got hooked up with him and and some real good guys out there. And right away, that's when I and started learning and learning. And I was working every night. And it's where I really began to, 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 lo- to like the business because now I'm, now I'm beginning to learn about how to learn some psychology and work, work the crowd a little bit. I mean, there was small crowds out there in Oregon. You know, that's Piper's territory. Right. Piper, his deal was out there. It was Don Owen territory and Matt Bourne and, 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 uh, Rip Oliver, Mike Miller, all you know, the guys, Billy Jack Haynes. We brought Billy Jack Haynes into the 
to the to the fold after a little while. David Schultz, I know you know Dr. D. Right. Dr. D was out there. And then so, you know, Kurt Henning, Kurt's dad and Kurt came in. I actually had Kurt's first match wow. in Eugene, wow. Oregon with him. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and, and, and um, did, Axe, did Axe bring him in? Is that how, how Kurt Yeah, came Axe came in. Stays, he stayed for like uh, two or three TVs because we did our TV on Saturdays. And we worked some stuff with him at Stan Stasiak and, and dang, we worked at a little angle to bring Kurt in and stuff. And, and oh, it was great. His dad was just unbelievable. I mean, just what, what he was a big guy. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, you know? how did you get to, how'd you get to Oregon from, uh, you started with Terry, but then you were working in Florida. How'd you get to we, Oregon? Well, we split up. I went to, I uh, was in Louisiana for watch for uh, you know, like four or five months. And that was a nightmare, but. You know, I survived it, and that's all I can say. I survived it. Teddy was there. There was a lot of guys there that I ran into. Hot territory then. Gino Hernandez, uh, Bob Sweetin. Uh, oh, geez, just I mean, there was J J Y J Y D. A lot, a lot of the yes, J Y D. You know, all all there. You know, and so I I blew out my shoulder. I got pork chops cash. I don't know if you know who he was. Uh, yeah, I know my poor job. He didn't like me at all. <laughs> Charlie Cook, an ex NFL player, right? Super nice guy. Uh, was was there? Black guy. It, it, he he took me under his wing and 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 helped helped me. Was you know help helping me learn and stuff. And then pork chop cash just dumped me right on my shoulder, separated my shoulder. I, I, I was kind of out of commission. It's hard to work with a separated shoulder. Mike Sharp. My arm, Mike. <laughs> Mike Sharp had an apartment. He let me stay in his apartment. I was living in a car with Buck Robley. Didn't have an apartment. Never had an apartment in five months there. Lived oh, living in, in a, a car, car. And living in a car is bad enough, but throwing Buck Robley, that makes yeah. the condition. Really you guys are living in the car? Yeah, that's all we did was go from horse track to horse track to horse track to horse track all over, all over the state. Why you know, horse track? Missouri, because that's Buck one to that was his deal. He was in oh, the, the betting deal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I started. Ivan Koloff was there. Thank God he he was nice. He took me to the gym a few times. I got to at least learn a few things while I was there while I was being tortured by those guys. Yeah. And I went to New York from there. Terry called me. Says, "What's going on?" I said, "If I stay here much longer, I'll be done. I'll, you might as well just go, just bury me." <laughs> so he said, "Go to the airport." There's a ticket in your name waiting for you. Come help me. I'm, he was in New York. It just moved. Vince Sr. just brought him in. He's up there. He'd never been up there before. He's going to have to drive, living in Connecticut, and drive the territory. So I said, damn right. Boom. I flew in. Got to rehab my shoulder. Got working out again. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm all good. Bam. Pat Patterson takes, puts me on TV, wants me to, to you know, wants to job me out on TV. And Terry's like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. Not, you know, that, back then they were calling me Dizzy, Dizzy Hogan. Terry Funk named me that. Love him. God bless him. And and so he said, no, you're not, you're not doing that to Diz. Boom. And then they made some calls and that's when they got me booked with Don Owen in, in Oregon. Boom. And I was going to work every night, every night, you know, small towns, Best way to learn. Best way to learn in the ring. 
front of the crowd, night after night after night. And a year went by, boom, quick. And I, and I made a huge progress. And that, it wasn't after, after that where Terry got me booked for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in Japan. So I started going to Japan. Boom. Next, I mean, as soon as I got to Japan, I was working with uh, Bill Eady, the superstar, was Sergeant Slaughter in the main events against Inoki and Hulk and Fujinami and Sakaguchi. So, I mean, I went right, right from the coming as a new guy and I was, you know, young guy into the main events working with those guys, and which was easy because they all worked. All the little, all the under matches, the Japanese guys, oh, they beat the hell out of each other. I got to, I missed <laughs> all that. I got to come in and Sagaguchi, I worked with Sagaguchi, was booking then, and Sagaguchi, big, you know, big, big, big guy, judo thing, but he was old. And, and man, we got in there and I, I worked with him and I didn't, I didn't touch him. I mean, I was, I was so light on him. You, you didn't even know I was there. And then after the match, he went to and said, I want that kid every night. <laughs> so, about about goes, year was that I don't movie? know what you did, but you locked it in your spot with the booker every night. So I got I get to go six minutes. You know, I'm doing I do whatever his little finishes and stuff. It's no no beatings, no no bumps, no no nothing. And I and I'm you know and I and I'm getting a good exposure in Japan and stuff. About what year was that? Eighty. 1980. 1980. So you went exactly. to you went to WWF before yes. Vince Jr. Yes. ended up getting Vince Jr. Yeah, went Vince to that Senior. that hotel. I think it's is it Boston? The, the hotel we used to go to with the Wizard and Captain Lou and Freddie and Vince Senior and, and I had would have some of the boys and we were all on this this it was a real old hotel but they had this ballroom and they had this giant dinner table must could seat like 30 guys and and then vince vince senior whenever we worked in boston he would come up there and, and i think and then everybody would be invited and, and seeing captain lou up on the table you know wow. <laughs> and and the ernie roth and 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 freddie you know everybody in their glory everybody's just running wild at these things and it was like I mean, I, I, I was wide-eyed. I was here. Here I was. I was just, you know, just just beginning to, to really get get with the business and learn. Well, how old were you at the time? Well, I was nineteen when I started. So, wow. me snick. So that's Sorry. yeah. So I was about twenty-two, twenty-three. So you silly young popping. Oh yeah, man. And, I, and you're getting and, to and see I, all this stuff. First hand, man. That guy's been been in the business twenty years. I oh yeah, it. superstar Billy Graham, and and I mean it was just you know the Samoans were there. Samoans helped us in Florida when we were in Pensacola when we first first started. Athensica took us right in, and we it, were helping us and giving us pointers and telling us how to survive and shit. I mean we lived in our van back then. You know I started out living in a car. One so you know I, I tell you what, talk about paying your dues in the business. You know the first. At least six years, I bounced into every territory in the country, except for Texas, the only one territory that didn't go for the Von Erichs. Did all the other territories: Charlotte, Memphis, Pensacola, uh, Louisiana, she's uh, 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 Minnesota, Kansas City, Ghana. Yeah, yeah I went in for the Kansas City guy. The guy, guy, what was his name? Geico, not Geico. Geico. Um, 
Got Guy, it. Bob, that's got it. it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, eventually, you know, sold out the Checkered Dome and then okay. all those those arenas in, in, uh, in St. Louis here, those big arenas, selling them out, you know, as Brutus Beefcake to, to come back. It was, it was that was fantastic. I Where's think it? when you when you busted through Charlotte there, I think you stayed with me a few days. Oh you yeah, were, no, Jack was car. there. Did, did you uh, did you live in the car with Jerry? <laughs> no, we actually had a. There was a little hotel on the opposite side of the airport, and they yeah. kind of converted it like apartments. So I lived there. Rick Rude lived there. Me and Rick Rude lived there. Yeah, Rude lived there. Mike Piper lived there. A lot of guys lived, lived there. I remember, there. you know, nights would slaughter would roll up. In uh, in the camouflage limousine, and me and Piper jumped in, and man, we took off. <laughs> and let me tell you, that was some. John, did you ever see that camouflage limousine the Sarge had? Only pictures. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I was in it. Yeah, I was asking John if it ever. Seen oh, 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 oh <laughs> only pic- Only saw pictures yeah. of it. I don't think oh. I ever saw it in real life. No, that thing was a cool, cool <laughs> mobile man. A, a guy Raleigh, I think, gave that to him. Old caddy, a caddy, Old caddy you know, yeah. big comfortable nice and and you know and and not having to worry about you know the the roads in north carolina man the cops were were stiff you know yeah dickie slater was always running around in his porsche <laughs> yeah the cops every night and then that porsche yeah, uh, I, yeah. I was i was dick slater you remember when we go over <laughs> to the other side of state of the afternoon pass by rocking him that speedway yeah every time yeah. we pass that speedway uh, Slater's in that Porsche. He said, "Man, I'd love to go out on that speed one one day in my car." I said, "Dick, they'll arrest us if we don't get killed. We'll be arrested afterwards." So one day we're going along, and back then they had all those CB radios, and some guy was oh, some yeah. trucker was, "Hey, I left the gate open at gate six at the speedway there." You know, telling some of his buddy truckers if the, how to get into speedway. Slater looked over at me. I'm shaking my head. No, please, no, please, no. <laughs> So sure enough, we're going down that highway. We make the turn. There's that open gate to the speedway. Slater takes that horse crayer out on there. We may do a little lap around, and he said, hang on. And, man, I'm hanging on. And he hits it, man. By the time we got three-quarters of the way that, around that deal, here comes the cops now. Slater comes around <laughs> right right where that gate was open. He, we fish tailed out, and we're out on the highway, man, and we're gone with you. With police chasing us, and we got we got out of town. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I had a two eighty Z back then. I, I, I just uh, I had an old. Uh, it was that a, was a lime. Was it lime green? Was it lime green? It was no, it was yellow. Color. Yellow, yeah, yellow, the yellow. Banana, the banana, yeah, <laughs> yellow and black. Yeah, I, I used to take little, little Tokyo with me in, on some of the trips yeah. and stuff. Man, we. We'd be cruising, we'd be cruising down the road, and I have the stereo blasting wide open, and and he he loved it. He he just loved, you know, putting the seat back in that in that car and cruising with me in the down the road in North Carolina. Hey, Brutus, not to go back a little bit, but you started at age nineteen. What were you going to do otherwise if you didn't get in the business? When did you decide, like 16, 17, 18, decide to get in the business as compared to what What was your other career path if you were going to do something else? Uh, baseball. I, I definitely would have been – I would have been a baseball player, you know, especially as, as much as I started growing and, you know, to hit 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, you know, I would have been a 6'4 baseball player who was a pitcher, a catcher. I could play any position, but – as an 11 year old, I pitched a one hit shutout. I didn't even get to play when I was 12 because my birthday was in April. 
Only with Terry's birthday was in August. So he actually got to play as a 12 year old because he didn't turn 13. I turned 13 in April. So that meant I only got to play as an 11 year old. So I competed against the 12 year old. So as an 11 year old competing with 12 year olds, I still, I hit seven home runs and, and pitched a one hit shutout as the pitcher, but I was the number one catcher in the league because my team never lost a game for like three years. My team moved up from little league, from peewees to minor to major. And then eventually in the big, big league after that, that was all in the little league system. Boom, boom, boom. And our team had a good coach and the coach taught the kids baseball. We were so disciplined. We smoked every team. They had the 10 run rule. It's called the mercy rule. So if you were ahead by more than 10 runs after so many innings, they just end the game. We scored 10 runs every game in the first inning. Smoked every team. The whole team, the other team would be sitting there on the bench crying. (laughs) The parents would be going nuts. They'd be screaming, this ain't fair. They'd be protesting the games and everything. What? It's not fair? Why? Because we practice every day. We have batting practice and things. This guy's his dad coached the team and he he drilled us. And our team was so disciplined that we just, you know, we we hit so many home runs. We smoked our team at the end of the year. Wade Boggs was in the same league as us. That's what I was going to ask you. With all the great MLB ball players that Tampa produced, how many of those those future pros was in that uh, league with you guys? Uh, it was great. Wade, well, Wade was there, and who else? Was Doc well, Gooden was and one. any of those guys? In the Palmasia Little League, where we were, but that was just a tiny area in Tampa, you know. And his dad would end up being one of our all-star team coaches, but his team never—I don't even think they ever scored a run against our team. That's how good our team was and our players. And I was sitting—I was switch hitting. I was a righty. I was switch hitting home runs when I was twelve. Moved up with the thirteen-year-olds. I was switch hitting twelve home runs over the fence as a switch hitter. Cause I was, I was long and lanky and stuff. And, and I love baseball and, and I had some good, I had some good back and connections that would have, would have hooked me up. But then the wrestling thing, I hurt my foot. I hurt my leg when I was 11 and it took me out of the game for a while. And I kind of discovered girls and forgot <laughs> about, gotta, gotta forgot about baseball. <laughs> I was a lifeguard for that summer while I was recovering my leg and I next thing you know, I started racing sailboats. I started racing competitively in sailboat racing across Florida and all over the south and learn how to sail boats up to 66 feet. Used to race in the offshore boating, learn how to navigate, learn how to set the sails on a boat, two masts, all this stuff, all the sails. What experience? I mean, you know, not that you're ever gonna need it, but I don't know. Every Armageddon show I've ever seen. If somebody, somebody with a sailboat, they end up on a boat, a sailboat. Yeah, you know how to sail, you know how to navigate, put sails up and stuff. That's the survival. Deal You're going there, to survive. Buddy. That's a secret to survival on Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Big faith, you figured it out, brother. <laughs> you know, and then wrestling. The wrestling presented itself, and I, I wasn't really sure about it, but I knew that uh, the reaction that. Terry and I got everywhere we went on a daily basis. When people saw me and him, first of all, they always said, 
you guys must be brothers. You must be brothers. And after all day, every day trying to tell people, no, we're not brothers. Finally, we just said, you know, I guess we just better accept the fact that they think we're brothers. Let's say we're brothers, you know, both with the blonde hair and the mustache and the thing. And that's where the brother thing started. Okay, yeah, we're brothers. We're brothers. We're brothers. And then just the, the reaction of everybody. We, we were monsters after we came out of Cocoa Beach 14 months in the gym, six days a week, twice a day. Now, now Brutus, that, that's a great story. They were kind of skipping over. You and Terry left Tampa and went over to Cocoa and started a gym or somewhere in that area, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, built, tell us a little bit about how, what brought that on. We built a gym. Uh, Terry knew a, a guy who owned a club over there because his rock and roll band traveling all over the South. It was called the Anchor Club. It was a very popular place. They had uh, mainstream uh, rock and roll bands that played there. And it was right on the beach. And Whitey, his name was Whitey Bridges. And Whitey told Terry, hey, if you ever want to do something, you know, give me a call. Maybe, uh, you know, I'll help you do, I'll help you set something up. So Terry called him. So boom, we drove over there. He had the bar. Terry worked the bar. I worked the door. So we're working. We got an apartment. We went to, we had, Whitey had a Winnebago. We drove down to Miami. They had a York barbell warehouse there. And we filled the Winnebago up with weights and bars and everything. And then we went back to Cocoa Beach and Whitey had a welding tools and all kinds of stuff. So we, we re actually just built our machines, our leg machines, our, 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 Table machines, bench presses, squat racks. We built it all, made a little gym. Nobody worked out there. We lived in Cape Canaveral, right at the edge of Cape Canaveral. They had just defunded the Cape, so it was a ghost town. But we had a place to work out, and that's what we did. We ran the little gym and worked out twice a day, every day. Didn't have a drop of alcohol. <laughs> Ate everything we could find, everything in sight every day. We, we'd go eat pancakes, a stack of pancakes this big. And how, how, were you, how were you surviving? with the rock and roll band or what? No, we just, we worked the bar. You worked the bar, okay. Yeah, so I, I worked the door. He worked a, he worked inside. So it, it paid. And Whitey helped us with it, paid for the apartment. And he paid the rent for the gym. And so we made a little money on the gym. That just fed us, you know, because we're, you know, I went from, 180 pounds, okay, to 255 pounds. Wow. <laughs> and Terry went from 255 pounds to 320 pounds. Oh, my goodness. And in let what, me tell in you. what time frame? 14 months. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seventy. So, yeah, and you guys were out, totally out of the business at that time, too, right? No, yeah, all we did was train yeah. twice a day, every day, like like. Savage. So, when did the light come for you to get back? Say, I, I want to get back in the business. Well, I had never broke in. Terry, Terry <laughs> decided he, he was in contact with Bob Roop, and, and Bob always says, "When you're ready, I'll make the call for you to to Barnett," and so. After we were monsters, he said, okay, let's, let's go for it. And he called Bob and Bob hooked up the deal so he could meet. We flew to Atlanta or whatever, met, met Barnett. He took one look at us and said, yeah, we were going. And then they, 
they renamed us Dizzy Golden and Sterling Golden. That <laughs> was, was that Barnett's name? Was that Barnett's name? Uh, the golden name. Uh, that's the one he gave us for, for those, a while. Those are terrible names. Oh, <laughs> oh imagine being Dizzy Golden. You know, I mean, oh my God. That's how I went to Louisiana is Dizzy Golden. Hey, hey, just a question about training. You guys were training back then because you guys were massive. I mean, huge guys and ripped. You didn't do much cardio back then, did you? So when you're training twice a day, what was your splits on that? Were you uh, training, like, say, everybody part three times a week? Were you, what, what, what yeah. was your training? Yeah, we were training, uh, well, we're training uh, one body part, you know, in the morning, one at night, and, and then three days, a every day three, off, every three, three days. days, a day off, three days, a day off. So we wouldn't really just take one day off, just whatever it turned out to be. But the, um, the I mean, this was an old school. We we made all the equipment, so there was it was no frills. The cable machines, it's all metal on metal with some grease on it, sliding up and down, and you know, stacking. 45s and you know I'm, I'm doing dips with a, the chain around my waist with two or three 45s hanging from my waist while I'm doing dips and uh, we're trying to do uh push downs I, and Terry's got to hold me by my weight belt in the back because I got more weight than my than I weigh on on the machine pushing down 250 pounds on the machine I didn't wait I weighed 200 or something you know, as we were, we just kept getting stronger and stronger. I mean, we were both right up near the 500 mark on the bench, squatting 500 all day because we, we did a lot of leg work. We used to do squats sets of 20 with 315, like nothing. Yeah, sets of 20 with 315. And, then, you know, eventually I did a set, we would do sets of 10 with 500, the bar bending on your back. And we were, you know, one arm dumbbell presses with a hundreds seated. <laughs> I only weighed I only weighed two forty, and I'm doing hundreds. <laughs> Terry's a little bigger. I mean, he was three hundred pounds. He's he's using the hundreds. He out, you know, he had a lot of weight and size on me, but I had you know a lot of drive and and, and was you know and always pushing pushing him to do more to do more to do more. And and you know what it it paid off because pushing him so hard, push myself so hard, put us to that position where we, they gave us opportunity. And once we got the opportunities, you know, start doors started opening. So you're, so you're in, you're in, you, uh, Rook makes a call for you. You're in Atlanta, Georgia with Jim Bardet. Jim Bardet, of course, is freaking out over somebody, two young guys, two young stud walking in his office, looking like you guys looking for first out of Florida, Jim with the tans and all that stuff. So, you work there for a while, then you end up with Bill Watts. Uh, how do you how, how do you transition from Bill Watts up up to uh, up to the to vets? Was it and was it vet senior or was it junior? It was uh, Vince senior, yeah. And junior was just doing the announcing. Yeah, you know, we're doing Harrisburg and Hamburg, Pennsylvania, for our TVs. Uh, I mean, Allentown and Hamburg was where the TVs were. And so, you know, I did, I, we were up there. For and you, you went up as Ed Leslie or uh, Dizzy Hogan or Dizzy? Uh, yeah, Dizzy, uh, Dizzy Hogan. Uh, okay. Yeah, and was it that 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 loop there or that, that time there that you presented with a, with a gimmick that you thought was going to be the death of Ed Leslie's wrestling <laughs> career? No, no, no. 
No, no, it was just uh, Dizzy Hogan when they they got me uh, when he got me booked in Oregon and. Okay, and so when, when you Florida. when you came back, what I'm getting at is when when they they gave you the shares and, and presented you a, you wasn't real crazy about that gimmick but, in the but beginning. Wait, but, but, wait first, I didn't cut you off, Jerry. But, but first, you had to run with Greg, right? When you came back, you had to run with Greg, correct? Yeah, yeah. We it, the transition was from. Uh, I was in, you know, Charlotte. I was still working all the territories. I made a run back through Philadelphia because every, everybody was there. Fuji, everybody was there one night at, at the Spectrum. Even uh, Vince Jr. was there because we used to do that TV there in the, in the Spectrum. And Hulk was working with Stud. And Stud was supposed to go to work with Otto Vance in Graz in Austria because Otto is the mayor but he's also the champion the canadian champion or whatever it was Otto was the champ and stud's supposed to go and wrestle him but him and terry in a big program they got everything sold out all over the country so Vince says, no no we can't we can't pull stud out who are we going to send to wrestle Otto? and it's like all the big guys slaughter and then and all the everybody's in programs there they didn't want to have to here I am standing there and, and Hulk looks at me and goes, send Dizzy. And they're like, and I don't know why he said yes, but he said, okay, we'll send Dizzy. And then Otto was 445 pounds, hadn't touched or been near a gym in a year since the last time he did a wrestling match. It was completely out of shape, but He's going to wrestle, you know, this once a year match for the championship. And now they, they plugged me into the, to the mix. And I wound up doing a hell of a job with Otto and I picked him up and slammed him. He never, nobody ever done that slaughter, Billy, all the guys have been there. Nobody could pick Otto up. He was just too fat and he's short. So, I mean, you know, Andre was tall. At least you could, you could get, an arm underneath him and he went up with you and still he was so heavy, but Otto was just short getting underneath him. Brother, I was, I, when I was, uh, this was for all the marbles and we were over there in Austria and I shot in on Otto and picked him up and turned him and slammed him. He couldn't even get up. They had to roll him out, roll into the apron. He was so out of shape. And, he, and you know, it's like, finally he wound up getting up and we're supposed to go through all these rounds and do all this stuff. And we went back and forth a little bit, and Otto just said, small package. And next thing you know, he small packages me. He's supposed to do his finish and all this stuff. He gets me a small package. One, two, three. They roll him out, put him in an ambulance, and take him to the hospital. <laughs> and then a little while later, they brought him back. I guess his back had gone out. He was okay. He brought him back. There was no TV. All there was was newspaper. The, all the newspaper on there was all the, the, the people still and, and the people in, in the arena had went nuts. They, first of all, you'd never seen by slam auto. Second of all, I was billed as such an underdog, young, no, no name kid that I was going to get murdered by auto. And I beat that guy. I, my fists were black and blue from hitting auto. Cause you know, auto is just like, hit me, hit me, kid. Hit me. I, I, I and, and after the match and, and stuff, he told Vince, he got on the phone with Vince. And he goes, you don't give that kid a job. And you're a real asshole. Dude, yeah, because he said, you better give that kid a job. So that's when they called me and said, come back in. We're going to make a spot for you. 
And then we figured they came up with the name Brutus Beefcake. His wife liked Beefcake. Terry says, what about Brutus? And then so they, they put Brutus with Beefcake. And I'm sitting there. I mean, this is going to be my big break in New York. I can't even say Brutus Beefcake without laughing. <laughs> it makes me smile. Makes, and I'm, I'm horrified out of my mind. I'm thinking, this is the worst day of my life because I'm getting the, the break of a lifetime. New York, Madison Square Gardens, on top of the world, worldwide. And my name is Bruce Beefcake. Nobody's going to take me serious. I didn't realize it at the time, but it's a name you cannot forget. And everybody who heard the name Brutus Beefcake, they didn't forget. And then when I got a chance to get on TV and the people saw the way I looked back then, you know, it was instant, instant heat. Getting out there, the good-looking guy. They wanted me to go, Patterson, they wanted me to go a little bit different of a way. Maybe the 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 back then San Francisco and thing was big. They they maybe wanted me to go the, towards push towards the gay thing there a little bit, but I decided, you know, I'd not I'm not built for that. And we're gonna go the other way and do the male stripper thing, Bruce. We think like the male stripper. And that got over like another was perfect. And and it and it got me a ton of heat and just I'd walk out to the ring and the people want to kill me. Just walking out to the ring, didn't even have to get in the ring, and it was a it was an amazing ride, Jerry. I mean, and then you know there was still a lot to learn. I hooked up with Greg, um, and who you know I I met you know in the Carolinas. I knew Greg well. I knew Greg was a, a good hand, and he was just coming off having the Intercontinental Belt and working a big deal with Tito Santana and blah blah blah. And they put me and him together. Those unlikely combination of two guys beefcake valentine totally different styles totally different characters totally different personalities but somehow we just want to work sometimes yeah. we gelled we gelled and him and his big long robe flashy robes and me with my bow tie and my armbands and my my spandex and strutting around and doing the strut i had the strut thing i was doing the strut and Oh, we had so much heat. It was it was insane. It was so easy. We didn't have to do anything. Just and the people were on their standing on their chairs. You know, they wanted to kill us. And, and, and so that's that we, when that's when the business was just busting wide open. Oh, I mean, was, every arena in the country was just back worldwide. And and then VH1 and MTV got on board, and 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 all of a sudden, man, we're we're not only. That, 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 was a character made, that was a character made for MTV, too. Yeah, we were rock stars, too. Yeah, we were yeah. just, you know, we were in the same arenas as Aerosmith and ZZ Top. So I got to meet everybody in the rock business because we worked the same arenas, you know, every night. The, the guys are there on the weekends, the concerts. So if we coming through on the weekends, we were always passing Bad Company or, you know, Sammy Hager or, you know. <laughs> All the guys were, were just, you know, always passing somebody on the road. And, um, and it was just it just amazing. They worked us a lot, though. You, you know right, that we yeah. were working. Well, 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 what, was your, what was your longest run out there? Because I know it's like, like chic. I don't know how I exaggerate. 120 days in a row. Well, I did I, 99 straight without a day off. Wow. Greg and I had the belts. 
And that's, I mean, <laughs> we, did actually, in a row. Wow. we got to go through Florida uh, a couple of times and, and re-up our clothes. And, and Bruno said, tell, tell the people, because it's hard to visualize 99 days in a row. And you're not going at, at like a tour. You're crisscrossing the country three or four times a week, right, at that time. Right. But that's and that's not 99 wrestling matches in 99 days. We were working TVs, eight TVs every, what, two, three weeks? Right, yeah, every three weeks. Eight yeah. TVs, and because I was a feature, if you're a feature, you used to have to hang out for the last match. So I was doing 10 matches, five matches a night. And then on the weekends when we worked, Saturdays and Sundays, we worked matinees. Right. So in that 99 days, I worked 135, 40 times. Wow. Wow. And we kept that up. I kept that up from 19. The end of 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89. And it only got cut off in 1990 because I got in a horrible boating accident out in Lutz. Yeah, can, can, can we can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, that was a hor horrific accident, and it was a life and death situation with you at that time. Was was Brian? Was it Brian Blair that was with you to kind of pull together what or what? What happened? Walk us through that story. Brian showed with a piece of. Oh wow! Fourth of July. Yeah, I flew back to Florida. I just bought a a nice Harley Springer a '90s uh, custom soft tail Springer. Was at my buddy's house. That's at the Lake Pageant out there in, in uh, Lute, right? Well, it was uh, called Crystal Lake. It was a, a smaller, lake. smaller yeah. lake off. Yeah. And um, and we were out uh, having fun parasailing and doing, oops, doing stuff on, on the lake. And basically, we uh, put the parasail away. We'd had a couple of little incidents. Put the parasail away, and boom, and we were going to hop on our bikes take a ride. And then we had some guys, we had a band that we we're going to, uh, was going to play. We're out on this huge, big house, open up on the lake. And, and um, next thing you know, Brian Blair comes up and they want to parasail. And my wife, yeah. And my, with a, with a girl, a girl wanted to parasail. And, and my buddy, Mikey, he owned the house. He said, no, no, Mike. His boat, his parasail, his company, everything owned all the stuff. He said, "No, no, no, we're, we're done parasailing." Boom, and they and Brian wouldn't let up. They just kept uh. pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, Mikey snapped or and went in and grabbed the the parachute and stuff out of the storeroom. It was all wet, and we started pulling it out. And Mike jumped in the boat, and I, I'm working the line. I, we got 300 feet of special Kevlar line for the parasail. And they're trying to get them ready up on the beach. So this girl can parachute, go parasailing. And finally, Mike, just he's disgusted with the whole thing. We're just about ready to go, but not quite. And Mike just takes off in the boat. And he knows that pulling the rope, pulling the parachute, eventually shoot's going to get some air. She's going to come up, but it's going to be a real rough ride before that happens. Because she'd never been, didn't have any idea what to do and didn't know and i'm out in the water trying to stop mikey going stop mikey stop looking at the boat he's going you're, out. you're in the water you're not on i'm the in boat. the water i turn wow. around wow. to look and see what's going on with the girl and the parachute and 
Mikey doesn't go straight out into the lake. He turns to follow the shore a little bit. And what that did was now I'm off to the side thinking I'm, I'm in the clear. If Mikey goes straight, no problem. Well, Mikey didn't go straight and she's coming towards the back of my head. Just starting to come off the ground and we're talking 30 miles an hour plus, And I turn right into her knees in my face at 30 to 35 miles an hour impact. So hard that when it hits me in the face, pushes my feet fly out of the water. I do a full gainer because if I was to just fly backwards in the water, I would have landed way, way deep in the water. It may not have been able to even get my footing. But I wasn't. I was still where I, I, I did the somersault in the air and came down. And I was only in less than knee-deep water. So I was able to get my bearings, but the impact had blinded me. I had optic nerve damage. <laughs> I crushed all my airways, so I couldn't breathe. My palate broke and was collapsed. Couldn't open my mouth. So I had to take my thumb, force it in between my teeth, and push up on my palate. And push my face back up. And that way I could make an airway so I could breathe. And then wait for help. Brian was one of the guys. The many people that were all around that ran out to help me. But it wasn't just Brian. It was, you know, everybody. And they stood up calling the helicopter to fly in and take me to the trauma center. Which is the logical thing. Wouldn't I, I would have asked probably if I'd even thought of it. But at that time I was thinking about it. I had no idea how badly I was injured and I was trying to talk with this thumb pushing my mouth and just trying to worry about breathing. And I'm trying to tell him I'm hurt bad. My face, I also, I kept saying, my face has fallen off. My face has fallen off because everything had collapsed. I had disintegrated my entire facial structure and everything collapsed. And they drove an ambulance up, put me in the back and took me to the local emergency room at USF with no facilities for trauma at all. And Rick Rude's sister happened to be there, Nancy, and they she was in the in the in the ambulance and they rolled me into the screaming bloody murder the whole time. They rolled me into the emergency room and just left me. And basically I was dying at this point, period, barely alive, holding my hand in my mouth to breathe. And she's running around screaming, somebody help him, somebody help him, somebody help him. And they, finally, they come over, start checking my vital signs and everything, taking my blood pressure and realize, and they think I'm having a heart attack because my, my life signs are all over the place. It's completely crazy. And I got my hands shoved in my mouth and I'm trying to tell them, no, my face is falling off. My face is falling off. I'm trying to tell them I'm, I'm bleeding, but not profusely i'm bleeding out of my eyes i'm bleeding out of my nose bleeding out of my mouth and bleeding out of my ears and <laughs> you think somebody to figure out that i was hurt yeah. pretty bad and it went to this doctor shows up that just happens to be the best palate reconstructed guy on the planet lives in tampa works in tampa has a practice in tampa and he gets sent to me, my location at the hospital and starts looking at stuff and then boom, he starts making phone calls and shit. Next thing you know, 18 wheelers start rolling up in front of the hospital. 
one, two, three. They had 3D imaging, 3D scanning, MRI machines, all this, all kind of equipment that the doctor called and ordered rolling into the hospital. And they're rolling me on a gurney out to the parking lot to put me in these machines and shit because they, they, they decided that I was not stable enough to risk a helicopter flight of 20 minutes to the hospital. So they had to treat me on site. <laughs> wow. You want to talk about a miracle. Just, just that I'm alive at this point is a miracle. And now the best guy in the, in the world is on the case and starts telling the doctors he wants to operate on me. And all the doctors are saying, no, 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 this guy's dead. He make it. There's no way. There's no, there's no chance. They, heard, they saw the x-ray and my, my entire facial skull is disintegrated, not just broken, not just fractured. It's gone. It's gone. And the doctor says, oh, my, I, I know what to do. We're going to do this. We're doing that. And, and basically, he's, this guy's a legend. And, and he started telling people, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And they couldn't talk him out of it. And he's ordering up this. And they had to bring in five teams of doctors. They had to bring in ear, nose, and throat guys because they got to re rebuild my sinus cavities, which are crushed. They got to bring in an eye doctor to try to repair my optic nerve damage because I'm blind. They got to bring in a neurosurgeon because my brain, they don't know how much damage the concussion is that I'm suffering is going to do. They got to bring an oral surgeon because my mouth, because my, my jaw, I didn't know if I was jaws were broken. What had happened, the palate's completely severed and broken loose. It, so they had to have all these teams of doctors call into the hospital. And then, you know, and the doc puts in the call. I think he's called NASA. They sent over some space shuttle shit to put in my face. They put this titanium webbing that they use to tie satellite panels together in space. It's, it's real super strong and super small and, and lightweight, but unbreakable. They, that's what they said. It's unbreakable. And this is what he wanted to rebuild my skull with using the whole top of my skull. He peeled my face completely off, peeled my scalp back and then took out the top of my head and used all that bone and then reconstructed everything from the, uh, this part of my was solid, but everything from here down was gone. So you had to rebuild all the eye orbits, my, my nose, some, everything that's your cheekbones, how that attaches, all that stuff that attaches to your jaw to be able to have my something to attach my teeth to. <laughs> they had to rebuild all that and then put it all back. My eyelids were had to be sewn shut when they, they pulled it off. Put it all back. Re, figure out how to put hollows in, into my skull. That's that's your sinus cavities. They're hollows. Look at a cadaver. Look look at a, a skeleton in an anatomy book, and you see in these hollows. They had to re recreate hollows in my head, all in my face, and everything somehow. And they did that. And then I was in uh, on life support for several days in a drug-induced coma, recovering. And then when they brought me out of that, they finally revived me. My whole head was like a beehive of, of bandages and stuff. And, and literally my, my face, everything was... Coming in. Well, I, I was swollen. 
my head was swung like a basketball. I mean, my, my lips looked like tomatoes and <laughs> my eyeballs, my head was so small. And it's like, when they finally got the bandages off, they had to cut the sutures on my eyes. All I remember is this big nurse jumping up onto the gurney, pulling my, wow, the, the skin back on my eyeballs, putting an eye chart. And cause my, I'll jump, my jaws were wired. So I couldn't speak, but I could point. So they put an eye charts in front of me and with things for me to point, whatever, wherever the chart was thing. And that's how they figured out that they were able to save my eyes and restore my vision completely. Miracle number two, <laughs> I'm still alive first. And I was in surgery for 16 hours straight. All these teams of doctors on it. They said, this guy, he's never going to survive that long. They kept telling the doctor, no, no, no. We want to do this. He's going to, the guy's not going to make it. He's not going to live that long. The doctor told me at the, after the thing does, he said, you, your but you were in such condition. You were in such good shape. Your body just wouldn't die. Just, the will to live was so strong. Just, just your body wouldn't give up. It just kept on fighting. What do you remember it, during, during that time? What do you remember? Like, like from the accident to that time you start coming to, did, did you have any, you have any thoughts during that time? Did you know how you, how much trouble you were in? I, I didn't, I had no how idea. Were you, how were you sedated? Uh, they couldn't give me any, anything for sedation. Because of the, the the extent of the neurological damage was not known. If they gave me uh, anesthesia, could have killed me in, right away. Boom. If they gave me any kind of pain medication, morphine, anything like that, boom, could have died. So I had to wait till they got all this stuff ready to take me into surgery with no, not even an aspirin, brother. Let me tell you something. That was more pain than you could even, in your wildest imagination, uh, believed this to suffer through and the doctor came to me said he had a real heavy accent eddie eddie we're going to take you to surgery now eddie i said okay doc well, my hand stuffed in my mouth I said just kill me if if, if you can't fix me kill me because i i can't take it i can't take the pain anymore doc he said don't worry we're going to fix you up we're going to fix you up and they took me in there and 16 hours later Boom, and then Terry wound up getting on a plane flying there. They said, Look, we don't know when he comes to what's gonna happen. He's he's in such bad shape. Plus, I just suffered, you know, the accident just take my career is gone. I'm I'm done. I just went through a horrible divorce. I was going through a horrible divorce when this happened. My parents had both died the year before. It was not a good time for me. They said, We need somebody he knows. Well, to be here when he comes out of it, because he might, there's no telling what, what what's going to happen. And so Terry got on a plane and was there when they wound up taking the, the bandages off and, 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 you know, doing my eyes and find out I could see. And the doctor's like, we, we need to get him up. And they, they, they walked me, sort of walked me down the hallway and Terry on one side, the doc on the other side. And then next thing you know, Terry says, Doc, Doc, I think we better get him back. And Doc goes, what do you mean? And he goes, my eyeball popped out. Oh, <laughs> popped out of the side. 
it wasn't laying down here or nothing, but Gary <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goes, Doc, his eyeball. <laughs> Doc looks at me and goes, Oh, geez. And so that they're hustling back. I can pop my eyeball back and suck it. And and I'm there and I got, you know, they put eight eight strips of titanium and 32 screws and like 50 feet of this special titanium wire and everything to to re-put everything back together. And my, my jaws jaws were had to be wired shut for three months to let all that heal and that's all. Did, did you, all did you, did, was, was your brain waves, was they still working? Did you have any trouble with memory or speech or anything like that? No trouble with speech. Um, you know, memory, I've, I've got documented memory loss. I only remember one day of being in high school, and that's three years. Wow. Gone. That memory's completely gone. What does it feel like now? You're, you're all that tight. Oh, it feels fine. Every feelings come back. It took five years almost for the swelling, all the swelling in my skull and my face and everything really to calm down and go away. Yes. Yeah, now you're, you're next to death. The, the girl that hit you was, was her knees messed up. Did she have no, any she, medical? Did nothing, huh? No, she had a wow, she had uh cracked her kneecap or some a, a, a minor injury something minor wow nothing nothing it just the, so the what, what happened her, her kneecaps hit you where, where, where exactly in your face our knees like, like, like one that hit right me in there. the mouth one hit me in the cheek wow just like this Lucky that was that back job. wow so and somehow not- it didn't knock all my teeth out it <laughs> sounds like since it was brian blair brian blair's idea this is all brian blair's fault a hundred percent of it is Brian Blair's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Let's oh. blame it all on Brian. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh man, yeah, I don't know this, but you know what? The girl eventually, um, my buddy says, "Look, we, you, your career's over. You have nothing. We, you know, we got to do. You got to sue. You know, so you got to sue. You got to, you got to try to get some kind of settlement." From the insurance company, you know, so I sued uh, his homeowner's insurance and his company insurance because we're using a company boat, right. a company parasail uh, on on the lake with company employees and stuff. So it was Mikey, who told you? And Mikey, the guy who owned everything. He's Mike warning, was that Mike Canis, right? Uh, that's Mike Canis, yeah. And he yeah. told me, "You, you, you got to do this, man. You got to do it. You know, don't worry about me. I will be fine." And and so they. Uh, I got I got the lawyer. They we sued. They settled on the steps of the trial, and the girl that her knee hit me in the face went in and talked to the judge right before that they settled, and hopefully, and it helped. The story she told helped to uh, get them to settle, and so we settled for six hundred thousand. Supposed to be one point one million. But the, the the company insurance found some kind of a loophole in the policy, so they and they cut it in half, basically to from uh, from one million to five hundred thousand, and the homeowners insurance was a hundred hundred grand. So you got six hundred grand, and then take away forty percent for the lawyers and extra fees, and then I had to pay the doctor. the The doctor bill was I, I don't know. Million dollars for it had to be, yeah. Wow. There was 
because there's five teams, there's there's like a yeah. dozen doctors. And, and unfortunately, the way our business was back then, there was no 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 wrestling care to take care of you, right? Yeah, no insurance. You were no, no. totally unemployed during that time, too. Right, right. But good for thing for me, I'd done a commercial in 1985 for the Hasbro action figures, those first <laughs> ones, the big rubber guys. Right. And by doing that, I got. Uh, put into the Screen Actors Guild. Boom. And so the Screen Actors Guild, unbeknownst to me at the time, still had me on their books, and I was insured through the Screen Actors Guild wow. for Blue Cross, and they took care of like 70% wow. of the, you know, the $102, hospital bill slash doctor's fees and everything, and and uh, they took care of some of that. So I, I did get wound up with a little bit of money, but... At the end of the day, you know, the doctor said, "I, ah, you know, you, you, they don't, they didn't want me to drive a car." I said, "Your, your skull." They just didn't know. They never. This operation the doctor did on me, basically, he said they'd never used a live person and been able to <laughs> to do this before because nobody lived long enough to even try it, much less do the operation and, and then see what happens afterwards. So I was the first guy to survive this procedure in history. And the doctor says, you can't do this. You can't, you'll never ride a motorcycle. You can't, we don't want you driving a car and everything. Within five months of getting out of the hospital and doing my recovery and everything, I was working on a movie in California with Terry called Suburban Commando. And I was already breaking through, breakthrough. <laughs> Uh, stunts breaking through walls, <laughs> smashing. It's where I, I met uh, Mark Calloway for the first time, Undertaker, and, and Terry had got him to come in and do some a part in the movie, and then got it. That's where Undertaker got his introduction into WWF, and became. And that's when they Mark came in. They thought they cooked up the the Undertaker gimmick, and everybody was like, "Oh no, it's Undertaker!" It's too much. It's too much. You can't, it's never going to work. It's too much. Everybody kept saying, uh, and then look how that turned out. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, and, and I'm, I'm six months afterward, I'd recovered so completely and so totally recovered that the doctor just like couldn't believe it. He goes, so I don't know. This it's just miracle after miracle. You're alive. Miracle. Miracle. And then you recovered like, Nothing ever happened and was able to come back to the rest of the business. And the doctor says, look, I can't tell you. He goes, if I was you, I would, I would never go back to the wrestling business, but it's all I know. It's been my whole life. And he said, I, and I can't tell you this on the record, but my face had healed, you know, cause I went through a lot of evaluations afterwards the bone grafts in my face with the strips of titanium and the screws, everything healed perfectly. He said, perfectly. And bones don't tend to break when they're healed na naturally, but through nature, they don't break in the same places. So now your face is strong with where the bone grafts is. But not only that, it's reinforced by titanium that's unbreakable and screws. So if your face, you went head first to the windshield, you probably wouldn't be hurt. <laughs> he goes, I, I can't say that on the record, but 
So where'd you, you know, go through TSA now? Do, do you sound the alarm at the airport? Well, no, only if you put a, a metal detector up to my head, actually. My, my, where I replaced my knee after I got out of the business, then I finally replaced my knee. And, you know, that sets off the metal detector spell. Yeah. My knee so you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. You're, you're perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah, I'll break the road if I hit it. You, you know what, John? They've said that about him for years, though. <laughs> What a story. That's unbelievable. And unbelievable that it all came back. Yeah. What was your mindset during the time? Am I finishing the business or did you have that in the back no, of your mind? I was totally mind? trying did to you... accept the fact that I was never going to wrestle again. And that, that's had some movies. I had some movies you know, started coming around. Took, took, took time to accept the, that fact. But uh, yeah, Terry was starting up his movie career. I'd been doubling him and everything we did. And then uh, we wound up doing the uh, Thunder in Paradise uh, TV shows and, and, and Thunder Paradise movie and then a bunch of, I mean, five other movies. So I doubled him in everything he ever did. There was only one film he ever did. And it was called Ninjas on Mount, Magic Mountain or something. Uh, uh. Some, something because I was in a program with Kurt Hanning. And they, and they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't take me out. <laughs> Maybe that, Maybe that was a blessing. Maybe that was a blessing. Let me do that. Yeah, that was a bomb, biggest movie yeah. bomb <laughs> of all times. So I mean, all the stuff we did, Mister Nanny, and nah, 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 did, all these these movies are hilarious. If, if you want to rent some funny shit, go and watch it. And then you, if you look closely, you'll see it's me doing all the. I'm riding the little motorcycle, driving the car, hands reaching into scenes and stuff where it's supposed to be him. I'm doing the uh, doubling, you know, the hand double. The, that's the thing. I mean, our we did the television show Thunder in Paradise about the Thunderboats, the, the superboats. We had a 42-foot scarab. Right? We got all this stuff right from Scarab. The, the guy that owned Scarab was Terry's friend, my friend. And we that boat had three 500s in it. Then we had a 38-footer. That boat had two 500s in it. And this is a boat. That was what, this is what I did every day was drive these boats. And these boats would go at 90 or so, you know, and that's when we drove around Tampa Bay and the Gulf, Sarasota. We're filming. We're doing, we're on Disney on the lakes out there. They drove, you know, we drive a little bit on those lakes, but they didn't want us going real fast out there. And doing stuff on did underwater stuff, uh, you know, uh, Navy SEAL movies. Terry did two Navy SEAL movies. I did underwater stunts. I did driving boats, driving cars. When we did the Disney, uh, the Disney show, they they filmed the first episode and everything, and they they showed it to the Disney execs, and then they showed the first episode had Sting in it, and they got Sting on an airboat and it's got what they call blind drivers. He's set up underneath sting, but it looks like stings driving the airboat. And we're on a river in Kissimmee, Florida. And I have to be on a, on a wave runner, like a sea do wave runner, them big three person ones run up next to the airboat. They put this plastic, uh, I mean, the rubber decking on the front of the airboat. Normally it's hollow, you know, shit covered the airboats and then so i have no there's no rehearsals there was no practice it's okay brutus <laughs> okay dizzy whatever they call me no it's brutus and you come up next to the airboat you step off 
on the uh, airboat and then engage would sting into a fight on the airboat while we're going the other the driver's driving the airboat first try boom on camera bam drive up boom start the whole thing we're doing me and sting they cut we jump off we into the shallow water boom the disney people are watching it and they're like going oh my god we had no idea that Hulk Hogan could do things like that. <laughs> oh my God. And then the guy goes, that ain't Hulk Hogan. And they were all, what? They couldn't tell the difference because as big as I was on camera and knowing how Terry moves and how to, you know, just what to do, you know, doing with the exact doubling thing, I knew what to do. And boom, they had no idea that that wasn't the real Hulk Hogan doing all his own stunts on the airboats and shit. And except, except that you had a lot more hair than Terry. Well, they had, a, they had to put a ball cap on me. And, uh, some they did what? They had to put a ball cap on you to resemble Hogan? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, Jerry. <laughs> yep. And, uh, hey. you know, and that, that helped to get us our, our, our gig there. And that, that, that helped you survive during during those years there. It so did. so uh, what what how was it, how was you going back into wrestling? Were were, were, were you and you and Hogan planning on a return, or was you you kind of just hoping to stick with the movies, or how, well, how did you get back into in the, the movies? Was after after you know I I'd come back I come came back on the first ever Raw when I, I came back and worked the match with DiBiase and IRS. And they hit me with a briefcase, and which led up to the WrestleMania nine, yeah. you know, show. Were, were there any, any doubts in your mind when you when you were coming back that you were going to be able to come back all the way? But or, or, but were you in such good shape that you had no doubt that you could make it? Well, I was in good shape. That was that wasn't a problem. The problem was, you know, mentally, like, was I going to be able to not be gun shy? Was I going to be able to really give it a hundred percent without holding back? Without, you know, thinking I'm going to get hit, just going balls out, full blast, go, keep, go, you know. No. And I did so, a few matches. There was a couple of characters. They had the, the, the fur face guy, the, these, these costumes and stuff that my, my, uh, my outfit guy made to uh, camouflage me and, and uh, so I could get in the ring and, and feel it out. And, see, and when I actually did the first couple of matches at a TV. I think one was, it was in Fort Myers and I was, uh, I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, to, to get back in there every day and risk it. I didn't feel comfortable enough. So I took like another year off and wound up, you know, doing the other stuff. And, and then eventually on that raw came back and we did the thing built up to WrestleMania nine, the WrestleMania nine, after WrestleMania nine, we left. We did. We went to Tokyo and worked the Tokyo Dome, and I worked with Saito, and the Tokyo Dome sold out ninety thousand or something. And Terry worked, and then we came back, and we went to Europe. We went to France and all around. And then next thing you know, we were in Orlando and started filming. Oh, in Tampa at the Don Cesar Hotel in St. Pete Beach, we started filming Thunder in Paradise. The movie with uh, the the uh, the giant that, that WCW had found. What was his name? Jesus. Gonzalez. 
Yeah, Giant Gonzalez with the Giant Gonzalez. And and um, <laughs> Jimmy was in it and Hercules. A bunch, all, all, all guys are in, in the movie and, and stuff. We had a great time. And uh, and then, you know, from there, it was off. We were doing movies. We are doing TV shows. We are doing stuff. And it was great. It was fun. You know, I didn't make a whole lot of money, but I, I was surviving. And that was that was the key. You know, that was the, that was the key. And I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better all the time. And then, you know, eventually WCW, we wound up getting involved with stuff with them because because all their stuff was being filmed at Universal right next to Disney. So they're all the time. We're, we're out on the at the Grand Floridian, okay? Right. Back in those days, they actually had a beach. They built this beach bar that we had. They had 35 Hawaiian Tropic queens out there on a daily basis sometimes. So, are you kidding me? OJ was <laughs> hanging out there. There was all, everybody in the world. Terry Funk came in, did some sting, came in. Everybody was, everybody wanted to be on this show. We had people, everybody came there. <laughs> and there was Brutus right in the <laughs> middle of them the whole time. Yeah. Having a, you know, good old time. And, you know, and being, being real uh, appreciative and happy to be alive. I mean, just beyond, you know, beyond belief. You know, I, <laughs> Hey, Brutus, just to go back a little bit when, um, Jerry was asking you a question. I think I cut him off because it's such a cool moment because I was watching some videos on you today and I know Jerry was as well. You had such a big run with Greg. And then at the end of that run, you have, I, I think the timeline, I may get it wrong, is WrestleMania. Then after WrestleMania is when they pitched the gimmick to you that you thought was a horrible idea. Uh, and that was Brutus the Barber. Is that, was that right? The timeline, right? As yes. As well? WrestleMania three, you know, we had uh, in the Silver Dome. Largest, one of the largest indoor shows in the history. I still say that, you know, from what I understand, there was over a hundred thousand people in that thing. Cause Terry had the shot taken with a special lens from the very top of the dome. And it was, it was a 360 shot and you could I, see. I have that picture, by the way. <laughs> you could yeah. And every doorway all the way around and every doorway there was security. There was the people from the stands, the concession stand. There were the people standing there with all the security. We had 93,000 paid. You tell me with all the security and everything, there wasn't another 7,000 people? Yeah, big time. There's 100,000 people in there, and the place is literally vibrating. You're, when the people started screaming, you were like, you were shaking out there. It was, it was like... You never forget it, you know. You it's something you just you never forget. And when I, when I ran out to the ring to help Piper there, and and you know, in his match with with uh, Adrian, and the pop from the people with me, with me and Piper in the ring, and it, it was just like, you know, that was just the once in a lifetime. I mean, if <laughs> if you got to go out, you know, I'll go out now because it ain't gonna get no better than this for a hundred thousand people cheering for you. That was, you know, that was the deal. And Brutus, that's Brutus Beefcake. That was Brutus Beefcake. Okay, that ran in a high pipe, help Piper, you know. I'm not sure. I gave Pat Patterson credit for it, and he always accepted that. <laughs> but I always I said, 
We had a couple days off after WrestleMania. They didn't tell me and Greg anything. They didn't tell us anything about what was going to happen afterwards. They didn't really tell us they were breaking up. They just, you know, to give us the finish of the match. And then and him, and, him and Dino and boom, boom, boom. And I felt sorry for him because I love Dino Bravo. But he ain't Bruce Beefcake. <laughs> and Greg getting stuck with him was a big step down. Was not was not a promotion. It wasn't anything that you want to look forward to. And they we come into TV and, and, and it was in uh, Rochester, New York in the war Memorial. You, you ever been there? Right, been there. I have, yeah. It was a S H I T hole. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's being nice calling yeah, it. Oldest, yeah. And that's a generous. <laughs> and they say, Oh, we're going to do a photo shoot. Come on. And they put me in a car and drove me down and put, took me into a barbershop and they gave me this <laughs> white, white coat and a comb and a, a pocket protector with a scissor and a comb in it go to my pocket and said, and they said, okay, now you're the barber. And it, cause they hadn't told me anything. And I said, well, what do you mean? I'm the barber. What, what is the barber? And there was no answer for me. There was no plan. There was nothing. And so I did the photo shoot. And, and it's really, I still have some of the original photos. And if you could see my face and really look, you could tell I was pissed. I'm so mad. I'm so pissed that I'm just taking everything I can to not start screaming at the camera. And I'm taking these pictures and this stuff. I go back to the war memorial and instantly start going crazy. I go into this old dressing room and had the baskets where they had locks on there it smelled like god like goat's ass and i'm i'm in there and i'm 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 tearing apart i'm tearing the room apart and hulkster was you know the, everybody was there Hulkster, and the people they ran they ran and found hulkster today you better go you better go get beefcakes what, 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 what's wrong with beefcake well he's going crazy he went nuts he's going nuts but there he comes in the room and i said that's it everybody I quit that's it why would you change Brutus Beefcake and when he's red hot on fire I'm flaming on fire I just wrestled for the last year with Greg and wrestled Terry and singles everywhere sold out I'm on fire why would you change my name and not even tell me you're going to change my name so I could prepare or something so i looked at that as that that the all the was they was just set me up to fail period somebody wants me out of the business they just want me to go away quietly you know i'm the barber you know whatever and 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 then go away and and go go away you know i'm saying so i'm i'm telling terry that i said this is this is the thing right this is the thing right i said how what can i possibly do it's never and a hair match is something you have once a year, maybe in a territory. Have a hair match when you're on your way out. All the guys used to do it in the south, right, Jerry? Right. <laughs> you drive your you drive your U-Haul to the wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knew you're you're leaving because you're having a hair match that yeah. night and you're driving a U-Haul. So you're moving, <laughs> you're going. It, that was a funny that everybody would laugh about it. 
And I said, look, where are we going to go with this? How can I possibly make this work? And Terry was, he, he was ready. He says, what if Brutus the Barber uses a sleeper hole like Piper? Because I just, you know, just come out of WrestleMania or Piper using a sleeper hole. The hole is over like a mother. And I looked good. I was in shape. He said, what if you use a sleeper hole and everybody, when you beat them with the sleeper hole, you get your scissors out and you cut their hair. And I said, and I mean, and I mean, everybody, you put everybody asleep, you cut everybody's hair. And I said, that might work. But I wasn't in a position to make the call. He, he had to go back to Vince and sell it with Vince. And once he did, once he had sold it with Vince, then I was able to start, you know, trying to think creative how where I was going to go with this. Got new outfits. Got crazy. I had to wear the white stuff first. And I had the scissors. I'm in the ring. I'm looking. I'm I'm in a arena you know, with thirty thousand people. I got scissors in my hand. I'm going because it's visual art, but it's like it's like Broadway. It's like being on the stage out there in the ring. Everybody's looking at you, and, and a pair of scissors was just not visual enough. So I came up with the idea. What about some hedge clippers? And I wrapped them to look like a barber pole. Came out with a pair of hedge clippers. People went crazy. They ate it up. They loved the, the big scissors. Well, I did. And when I come running out there with the big scissors, everybody would scatter and everything. And, and we did the haircut thing in every match, every TV match, everybody. I cut everybody's hair. And then that happened for the next six months and, and kept happening and it got over people yeah. are sick <laughs> just i mean it's it's really kind of a heelish move to, to do that to people put them asleep and chop <laughs> their hair off so i'm really here i am i'm supposed to be a baby face but really on my heel but this was that time in in, in 87 where the the lines were blurred they me and greg is heels they loved us. You know, they loved us. We worked against Sheik and Volkov, and they booed them out of the stadium. We were the champions. They booed Sheik and Volkov out of the, the arena and cheered for me and Greg, who were the heels with the belts. How's that possible? But it, it, but it happened. We were the, – the people were beginning to like the heels. They liked the bad guys, you know. They liked to the, the, see the personas of the tough guys or, you know, and – and Greg, you know, the, the, the exponential tough guy, and his dad, Johnny, tough guy, just tougher nails. And so, boom, that, there, there, there you go. The, your Bruce B. makes so wild, man. And the crazier I got out there, I got mirrors and I cut people's hair and put a mirror in their face and I spray paint them with this hairspray. And I did all, I did all, <laughs> put, put the apron on them and cut their hair, did all this stuff. We did vignettes. I got to I gotta put mud. I said it was hundred year old Dead Sea mud, and I was doing a mud pack on one of the one of the fans, and I did, and I get a leaf blower out there blowing the mud off his face. You see his face That's what that's what they let me do. So I mean, it's like it's crazy as I wanted to get. I got to do it, and they got the the people just connected with it they had just yeah. never seen anything like it it was so 
different. It was so original. It was so cool. And, and I was just, I was just fortunate enough to be able to pull those rabbits, just keep, you know, get creative, the creative mind. I don't know what, how, where it was coming from or whatever, but just, just keep changing up, keep doing new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. Because I just, that's not what most guys do in the wrestling business. You're the same. You got Randy Macho Man Savage. Okay, look good. He had the same yellow pants, the same red knee pads, and the same boots. And he came out in the same outfit every single time. Bruce Beefcake came out and never wore the same outfit twice on TV, ever. And a thousand matches, a thousand new different combinations and outfits. Animal prints, spandex, all stuff, rhinestones, all the stuff. Never anybody ever tried that stuff before. Boom. It was a new age. And then everybody was doing it. You but you have to expect it gone to. And why not? You know? The mirror was the best. You know, when, <laughs> you, when you put the guy to sleep, then you cut the hair. And now there's the anticipation of the, the guy waking up and seeing his haircut. It's just, it's a great, then they wake up and look at it. Ah! And the people just ate it. was just genius. I just love that. The people, and and you know, I want to, you know, give credit what credits due and events and I mean, blah blah blah. But they didn't give me this much creative help, brother. All everything you see was me, and then and Terry helped me a little bit, but it was all all of it was me, just sitting around. On the what airplane, if, what, if, what, right? what if I do this? What if I yeah. do that? <laughs> what if I do this? What if I do this? And stuff. And they loved it though. They, you know, and you know, hey, they didn't have to, they didn't have to spend hours and meetings or anything like that to give tell beefcake what to do. I, I, they wound me up, baby, and I went out <laughs> and did it, got everything, and, got it. And did it ever work? I mean, you know, you think back at all the hundreds and hundreds of iconic uh gimmicks and characters that this business has produced. And uh, when you ask somebody that's a, a long-time fan, some of the top names that when they come out, well, yeah, I remember Hogan, I remember Beef, what was that guy? Beefcake, Brutus Beefcake, oh, yeah. There, <laughs> there they go. are. There they but are, Jerry. Every, yeah, wow. <laughs> that's the original <laughs> pair, too, right? This is the ones, man. These, this is the this first is, pair. We, we, had, we had Shockmaster on, and he said, I sell those, uh, those hoods all the time, the original hoods. The original hood. <laughs> I think. I think. I think. I think Doug has sold the original hood about yeah. a thousand times. A thousand times. Right? <laughs> got nothing less. Than the original yeah. ones. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't want to say. God has he blessed me so many times. He he got me through that horrifically tragic, made me stronger, brought me back from the brink of death, and and helped me to be a survivor and, and taught me how to survive and then, and then showed me how to prosper and how to turn a horrible negative into a extreme, into a positive, you know, and, and, and redo my life and get a second chance at life. You know, that's what they say all the time. If you're given some, what is it? If you're given a, a, a lemon, make lemonade out of it. So, you right. made lemonade. You made lemonade out of your life, <laughs> not one occasion, but several occasions. You know, 
Brutus, that was uh, one of the greatest times in wrestling history. You know, I, I think, you know, maybe, you know, the, the, the war with WCW was another great time. Maybe San Martino, the start, starting of WWF was a great time. But that WrestleMania start was such an important time. If that hadn't happened, you know, the wrestling business changed forever because of that. Did you realize at the time that how big it was that WrestleMania was, was happening and, and what it had the potential to become? You know, nobody really suspected that we were, you know, that of how it was going to turn out and the way it was going to roll. And but, but here you go. That during that time, the Don Morocco's, you know, we had Mr. T and this, all the the talent that we had, Mr. Fuji, and then we had such amazingly talented guys, Tito Santana, Grand Valentine, Junkyard Dog, all these guys, just. Stars, superstars in their own right, put all together, and then boom, and everybody just did their job. We went out there. It's you know, it's the first WrestleMania, a lot of pressure. Vince was those guys were under more pressure, you know, the they, they put the money up there. They're, they're gambling with everything on this show. The guys, I didn't feel pressure. I went out there, wrestled. Uh, David San Martino with Bruno in my in my corner. What well, that's an iconic match right there. I mean, that's just that's a legendary match right there. And that's pretty cool. I, I never even never thought twice about it. Didn't didn't feel, but uh, you know, Madison Square Garden didn't, didn't feel like tremendous pressure or anything. I wasn't scared. Yeah, brother, you're bringing up a really important point there. You know, a lot of people don't realize because they see these these two week productions out of WrestleMania. But hey, we've had uh, we've had Mike Rotundo. Mike Rotundo told us the story. WrestleMania one. He and Barry flew up that day, did their match, and they caught the red eye back to Tampa that yeah. night. Yeah. So that's that's how informal WrestleMania was at WrestleMania one. I mean, did you experience anything like that at WrestleMania one? Out just so. Well, I know back. we. Let's see, was eighty four? I think. Uh, yeah, that we were. Uh, they, I don't know if I was living in Jersey. Most of the, a lot of the guys, they were flying in. Everybody was flying in out of Newark when we right. first started. Was starting right. up there during that uh, that year going into WrestleMania one. So you know, you were in Newark. You just you just went over the bridge and you're in the Garden down there, in Manhattan. You no, know, it was no big trip for me. We were all back at the. But we always stayed back, in, at, uh, back at the whole Joe at the Ramada Inn. We <laughs> stayed at the Ramada Inn there, and in, in, in you know, sure. in the city, you know, the one I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody in the whole thing, and everybody's at the Ramada, and of all the boys, and there's thousands of fans in the streets outside, and just just everywhere, and, and the it, it was just amazing. <laughs> the, the, the fans are crazy. And it just got bigger and, and just it multiplied just it, exponentially. It just got getting crazy bigger, bigger. Two, we had a resume two. We had three shows. We had the garden. We had Chicago. We had LA. Three WrestleMania shows simultaneously going. So we went from one show to three at once. So that was pretty crazy. And then to uh, Silverdome. For the largest indoor crowd ever, boom! It, it just it kept exploding. It just it just was exploding, and, and you know, it was just it was a fun time, brother. You know, the only thing equivalent to it is like the first Super Bowl. 
you know, the first Super Bowl was done, and I don't think the players or the coaches knew how big it was going to become. To be, yeah, someday. Where you know, WrestleMania yeah. one, they got the boys were just this is another show at Madison Square Garden. You know, you you know Vince was under a lot of pressure. Morgan's his own home, rolled the dice, but you know, it, then all of a sudden it becomes this week long event that brings you know nine figures into into like, month long event. Really, I mean, yeah, almost, yeah. You know, I mean, they're just. Things are happening for for you know. But you got to look back. And go, that's so. pretty. That's pretty cool. I was part of the beginning. <laughs> hey, first nine. <laughs> first nine. Uh, wow. <laughs> water record. Water record. And what 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 are you up to now, uh, Brutus? Uh, where where can the people get a hold of you? I know that I oh. we mentioned earlier. You know, we run into each other every once in a while doing these card shows and and and, and enjoy the hell out. Of Mostly because we get to run in old friends like you and, and other people out there on the road that we hadn't seen oh. in a while. So. Hey, I saw President Biden on TV. He's got a cheat sheet. So I had my wife <laughs> make me a cheat sheet. So That's great. Got, you know, you can find me at BrutusBeefCake.com. Really simple. BrutusBeefCake.com is my website. Okay. And then for my Instagram account, WWE underscore Brutus underscore Beefcake. And I don't know if you can see my shirt here, but I am the commissioner for Boca Raton Championship Wrestling here in Florida, Florida and Boca Raton. And uh, uh, Matt uh, is, is the owner, and our, our ring announcer's name is Neil the Heel. And we have a, a, a this guy's. They're such wrestling fans. They decided, you know what? We're going to open our own company, and they did. And and Jake's been in. Jimmy's been in. Duggan's been in. Uh, probably Teddy's going to be coming in. Did Teddy come in, honey? Soon. Uh, Teddy's coming in. And, and and so talent, you know, they're bringing in all the guys that are left, bringing in the talent. <laughs> you know, we can, and and it's and I get to be home here in Florida and, and work with a great organization with, and with a lot of young up and coming talent stuff. We got a, we got a kid that was with NXT. His name's Jack, uh, Jack Talos. Jack Talos. And he, he's seven foot tall. We got our own giant, you know, and stuff. So Matt Tavern just got signed with AEW. Matt Tavern, yeah, the guy from signed with AEW. We got talent. Everybody's going to steal our talent. We got so much <laughs> talent. <laughs> Everybody's stealing our talent. But hey, I, you know, things are, things are great. I'm enjoying life. I never worked so hard. I'm retired. <laughs> I retired 70 years ago. I'm working more, way more now than I ever did seven years ago. Hey, hey, Brutus, reach over to your right there and grab that four-legged uh, hairy friend that you got there and show everybody. I mean, She's she been, she been wanting to make an appearance a whole show. This so. is, this is fondly known, named after my friend Andre, and she is. we call her Baby the Giant. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a long-haired chihuahua, and she's a monster. Yeah. And, and her her friend, can you see Go Go? This is Go Go oh, the right. Power Doggy. Uh, we have two, we have two Chihuahuas and Go Go the Power Doggy and and Go Go the, the Power Doggy. So she's the alpha one of them. Huh? Yes, well, they're both girls, and uh, you, brother, they they have yes, their death matches and wrestling matches <laughs> all the time. You wouldn't believe the, 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 the little head. one attacks the big one and, and the big one plays with her and you just swats her sometimes and will take her down and, and the little one's just she's going crazy and yeah the stank leg and she gives her she puts her leg like her butt over the other one's face and the clue called the stank 
she has her own finish. And they, uh, it just makes uh, makes me laugh endlessly watching these two. Well, they're okay until they bring out the shears. So watch, watch right. yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Missy likes to cut. Sometimes they 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 got they're they're real furry, so they get snarls. Missy Missy pulls the, the scissors out. They're so smart. The one she sees Missy get my scissors out. She's off the couch, down the hallway, round the corner, hiding because she's that smart. She knows that Missy got the scissors. She's gonna try to cut some of those snarls out of her, out of her feathers, you know, out of her long hair. You know, and it, it's it's a beautiful thing. My here's my dream. Missy and I, my wife is Missy. She's actually we call her the I'm the commish. She's the delish. And you look 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 her up online. You can see she is amazing, gorgeous, beautiful looking part of the you know Boca Raton Championship Wrestling. She's an integral part of of our whole company over there. And well, she was an integral part of me getting you online on, on this show here. <laughs> so thank right. you. Well, she saved me. I, I like I said in uh, the Hall of Fame speech. I said she she saved me. She she did. She she got me off opiates back when you know when uh, 20, 20 of my best friends are, are all gone. Jerry, you your best friends too. Yeah. Twenty guys all gone yeah. from opiates. Yeah. It was you know people. Nope. And, and you had every excuse in the world to be on them because of a uh, tragic accident, but you, the you because of, of support like her, you were able to get off of them. She got me off that and never went back. And that was 12 years ago. Never completely off all those pain pills. So we took, I took them for 30 years, wow. 25 years, you know, doctors are going to the doctor. I mean, you, I didn't take them every day, but shit, we were doing the, on the, we're on the road every day right. wrestling every day. So if you got them, what are you going to do? You're going to take them, and, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, like, like Sherry, Sherry Martell and, and, and Liz, and I mean, just, it's crazy. All the, the people that overdosed from, from alcohol and, and opiates. We're all lucky. We have support at home. That, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, 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 and a lot of and a lot of people think you take opioids because you're in pain, physical pain, but really it's emotional pain. And that's when it that's when yeah. it becomes yeah. hard. I agree. Well, it's, man, we, we really appreciate you taking the time out today, man. We we got a great trip down memory lane, a great <laughs> historical trip, which is what this show is all about. We we shared some great laughs on this show. Be thank thank you so much, my friend. Hey, Ed, don't forget you can go to BruceBeaver.com and get my uh, autobiography. <laughs> there you go. June 3rd, uh, we're going to be at the Retro Reset back, uh, in Beckley, West Virginia. That's coming up on the, the following weekend. Right. And we're at River City, uh, June 10th at River City. I think Jake's there. Teddy's going to be there. That's All Jacksonville, time. right? That's Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville, River City, yeah. John, John, are you at that one? I'm not, no. No, I've been in Jackson before for that for that show, but it was it's a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's it's, it's, it's a, a great show. It's it, a good show. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it was terrific. And I can drive. I hop in the car. Four hours, man. I'm pulling up to the hotel. We got the chihuahuas in the back. Everything is good. <laughs> you know, we're we're cruising. But you don't have the banana Nissan, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Denali now. Got Denali. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh yeah. That baby is nice. I love it. Big <laughs> SUV, baby, all the way. All the way. <laughs>